Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is, but I must say, normally I'd be getting more excited, a little bit more happy, because this week was supposed to be the first week that myself and Mark Schwarzer would get together face-to-face to try a bottle of uh, the Burgundy grape and then compare it, of course, to a player past or present. But I'll chime you in here, Mark, because... You know, it was going to be the first time in almost six months we were going to see each other. But, of course, now we're, we're back into lockdown here in the UK. Just, it's not meant to be, is it? I mean, no. people are keeping... There's something greater than... Something bigger at play here that's keeping us apart, Ollie. I'm sorry. It, it but, is unfair, though, because I'm looking at that, that the beautiful bottle of mother's milk that's just been winking me in the eye for about six months, and I can't believe I've not touched it. All in anticipation for today. And now I don't know when I'm going to see you. I know, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? It's, and the ridiculous thing about it is I'm going to games. I'm going to go to the Champions League tomorrow night. I'm going to go to Chelsea against Sevilla. Then I'm going to Manchester for Manchester against Manchester City against Porto. So it's kind of like some things you can do which you shouldn't be doing, but you're allowed to do it. And then other things which you should be allowed to do, you're not allowed to do, like going and meeting up with people. And yeah. It's just, well, to be fair, we could have done it. We could have met up, but we would have had to keep socially distanced apart. And we would have had to do the recording outside. And hence, I mean, due to the fact that in England, really, yeah. it's not really up to doing a lot of things outside. Mind you, I have to say today's weather is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm here with a, a fleece and a beanie on, though. That's because... I bet you it's warmer outside than it is in your apartment. Yeah, quite possibly. Yep. And you know me. I obviously don't want to be paying for heating too much. You could see that coming a mile away. Very understanding. And mind you, you know what? I don't need to either. You've got a lot of insulation there. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me, speaking of people doing things and not doing things and other people doing other stuff, what did you make of Arsene Wenger's book launch? And I don't know if you saw the images. There was possibly thousands of people crammed into the Apollo Theatre. Yeah. For some reason, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be critical of the theatre uh, um, industry because I'm a big fan and I feel for them. But whenever there's been something in a theatre, in a, in a theatre, uh, an auditorium, um, people are crammed in. Mm. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Absolutely not. Um, and I can understand why people would want to be crammed in and watch or listen to Arsene Wenger because he's a great guy and he's a very intelligent man and, and, and very worthwhile to listen to. Whether or not you're an Arsenal fan or not, I think he's an impressive individual. Um, we've got a lot of time for him. And, uh, you know, his job at FIFA is a... Is a, is a I think it's a great role for, for someone of Alison Wenger's stature. I actually, what I love the most about his uh, book launch was Mourinho's response to not being mentioned at all in the book. I thought that was predictable, but I mean, if you were to ask me what would Mourinho say, I probably wouldn't have said word for word what he said, but I'd go along the lines of that, you know. Can you elaborate for the uninitiated what, what he said? Well, the fact that he's not being mentioned in the book, that he, you know, that he said, of course, why would he mention him in the book? Because he, he never won against him. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, obviously they've had touchline spats. And, and that would have been along the same for lines. Why would he talk about something that's so negative yeah. in his career? That little, that little uh, I suppose, uh, cross next to a next to list, long list of accomplishments in the game uh, that he wasn't able to beat Jose uh, Mourinho. Yeah, definitely put an asterisk there, but you're spot on. Perfect Jose response. And Jose's been kicking off again, and we'll be absolutely getting to that because I've got to say, this weekend of the Premier League, I mean, you could have looked at thousands of different things. So before we get stuck into the football, and we really do need to get stuck in, let's talk about the wine we'll be trying. As I touched on before, we do, uh, if you're new to the show, we do like to try a bottle of red wine and then compare that red wine at the end of the episode to a player, past or present. Normally, if we're together, we try the same wine. 
but since we've been apart for so long, we like to try separate wines. So, Mark, what are you going for today? I am going for a wine that's called Protos. Uh, Spanish wine, of course, Ribera Duero. It is a fabulous bottle of red wine, Spanish red wine. Um, I've had numerous bottles of this. It is a favourite of my friends and I down in Spain. Um, it is a wonderful bottle of wine, I have to say. It is full uh, and concentrated on the nose with ripe red berries and a touch of uh, oaky aromas. On the palate, it is rich and velvety with ripe tannins and a lightning finish on a typical Ribera Duero Protoss, aged six months in the oak barrel. It is a wonderfully smooth um, and full-bodied wine, I have to say. And again, it, it is right up your alley. Yep. Uh, wonderful, wonderful bottle of wine. Well, I've just had a look online, and Protoss means it derives from the word first. So I wonder if that means first harvest of the grape for the season or where that sort of comes from. Yeah, I'm not really sure because um, it doesn't actually say anything on, on the bottle itself. So um, you could be right. I mean, it's a deep, uh, it's a deep cherry colour uh, with purple glints. Mm-hmm. That's the bottle. Um, and like I said, it is definitely a favourite of mine. Well, I've gone for a very special wine uh, and I didn't know when it was going to be appropriate to try this one. Um, but of course, we were sent a couple of bottles not, lo- not too long ago, or a little while ago now, I suppose, from, of course, Tom Jonas and Brad Ebert from the Port Adelaide Football Club. They sent us a few bottles of the Hay Diddle uh, Shiraz, to which I just kept one, you know, just tucked on my ear for a rainy day. And of course, during the week, Mark, I'm not sure. I know you love your footy, but I think this one might have gone over your head. But Brad has called time on his career. Unfortunately, suffered another concussion. So he's called it uh, time uh, at his magnificent career at Port Adelaide. But I thought it was a really appropriate time to decant a bottle of Hay Diddle Shiraz to, to just say cheers to, uh, to Brad Ebert. Yeah, Brad, cheers to you as well. And a wonderful career. And uh, it's a shame that you've had to end it uh, prematurely. But I'm sure with your uh, vineyard, you'll keep yourself very, very busy. All right, Mark, let's get stuck into the footy. So much to talk about. I guess it's only normal. I think that a bit of a theme yeah, so far as we've been starting with the early kickoff on the Saturday. So let's do that. Merseyside Derby. I mean, you couldn't pick a better place to start. I've got three specific dot points here that need to be talked about. Yep. Where do you want to start, though? I mean, I'm sure you've got lots to say. Look, Pickford on Van Dyke, that incident. Can you talk me through your thoughts? Well, the, the minute that the challenge uh, took place, I said, shut away Red Cup. And I wasn't, I have to say, I wasn't 100% sure on the, on the actual uh, the rules of the game. Um, in terms of, is it offside? So if it's not offside, then it has to be a red card. But if it's offside, does that mean that that, that doesn't actually incur a red card? But actually, you think about it, and you, you sit back and you... And you go through it logically, of course it does, because if the whistle gets blown for full time, or even during a game, it gets blown for a free kick that happens somewhere in the game, and you would have run up and two-foot someone, the referee would send you off. Regardless. So if it's even a completely separate incident. Um, so, you know, after a game, players get sent off for dissent, for fighting, whatever it is. Players get fight, uh, sent off down the tunnel. We, there are even instances in, in, in over the course of time where players are being sent off in the tunnel before the game's even started. Mm-hmm. So th- there's no other word other than reckless and it had to be a red card. It actually reminds me of few, a lot of episodes ago now. I remember specifically you telling me one of your big gripes is when someone goes in for a tackle they might technically get the ball first, but then they run through, you know, with two, two feet up. And, and people have said, yeah, but he got the ball first. And you go, well, that, you, your point was, yeah, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't give you a free license to then just do whatever you want. Absolutely. It's, 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 about, it's about control. Whether or not a player has control, then it's about, okay, even if he has control, what is the intent? Um, and then the challenge itself, like, you know, how does the challenge occur? I don't know anyone other than, other than an Everton fan who probably would think that that's not a red card. I think most Everton fans would think that's a red card. Mm. And they got very, very lucky in that decision. If that were to happen the reverse, so if Adrian had done that on, say, on, um, on, 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 on Rodriguez, James Rodriguez, 
Could you imagine the outcry, the uproar? It'd be the reverse. Like it's happening with Liverpool, Liverpool fans and, and the manager, which, you know, Jürgen Klopp, which is completely understandable. Um, and, I, and I think Jordan Pickett is a very, very lucky young man that he didn't get sent off. Um, he, actually, he actually got lucky twice in that game because that was the first one where he, where he should have been sent off. So he doesn't get sent off. He stays on and plays the game. Then the, the Jordan Henderson winner, which wasn't obviously the winner, had that have been a winner, had it have stood, there would have been serious questions and a huge spotlight on, on Jordan, uh, Jordan Pickford's performance because it was a poor, a poor, a poor goal strike of the ball to let in. Um, and uh, he got saved by the fact that it was given offside. And, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of VAR, so from, from, from day one, um, yes, there's improvement that needs to be done. You have to, you have to pick a point, where is offside, where is an offside. They draw, the, they draw the line and it's offside. If he's offside from, by a millimetre or if he's offside by a foot, it doesn't matter. It's offside because you have to draw a line. And uh, so he's offside. End of. But the freeze frame they showed when Thiago had passed it, it almost looked like the ball had already left his foot as well. Well, I think this is, this is one of the, the very rare instances in the game, um, in, in, in the game so far, I mean, in football and all the games that have been played, whereby the speed of the, the, the frames per second mm-hmm. come into it. And because of the, the speed of cameras that they're using, obviously wasn't able to break it down even further. So it got to the point where it was so touch and go. Um, and then obviously in the end, they've, they've, they've obviously decided that they've found an angle that shows that when the ball is kicked, they believe he's offside by drawing the lines, by the freeze frame and all that sort of stuff. So, you know what? We're, we're, we're talking about millimetres in the end. And if that's where a decision is being decided upon, that, and, and whether that's right or wrong based on millimetres, it's a vast improvement to what we've previously had mm-hmm. when there's no VAR because then you're just using the naked eye of a linesman or a referee to make those decisions. And far, off, far too often the decisions were, not far too often, but, but, but in, a, in a higher percentage of times they were, uh, they were incorrect compared to now whilst using VAR. Uh, what did you make of also Jordan Henderson's comments afterwards? He, he sort of said that, and don't get me wrong, I think Jordan Henderson's a fantastic speaker. I think the way he comes across, even when he's frustrated, he does it sort of the right way. You know, a real, a real captain in so many words. But he did suggest that it feels like they just put the line wherever they want. And do you think he might get in a bit of trouble for that? Because it, it does start to question the integrity of the game, which was, isn't a great look from someone's captain. Well, I think he'll definitely have a word spoken to him about it. Um, you know, and, and you can understand the frustration. I, I, I can, you know, I can relate. I've been in the situation before. You've lost a game or you've drawn a game. You haven't won or you've lost because of a decision that's gone against you. And when I played, we didn't have VAR. So the decisions were based on referees and lines decisions. And, and like I said before, you know, mistakes occurred. And I've been on the receiving end of mistakes. I've also been on the receiving end of... of uh, of uh, uh, benefit from a referee or linesman's mis- uh, mistake, but you know, o- overall, I mean, as a player, I'd rather win a game or lose a game, whatever, in a fair way. So, if the decision is the right decision based on the technology that we have, and it shows that yes, he's onside or offside, then so be it. But that doesn't change the fact that players are so emotionally involved in the game. Add to the mix that it's a Merseyside derby. Add to the mix that Everton decided they hadn't lost the game up to that point. So, um, you know, it was 10 years to the day since they last time, last time they won the Merseyside derby. So there was a lot of emotions in it. So even, even, even uh, Jordan Henderson, who is normally incredibly well-spoken and reserved and cautious, can sometimes, and, and if that's the extent of his frustration, he's still done incredibly well. Yeah, I agree. Fair play in that scenario. And then the final thing we need to talk about from that Merseyside game, I suppose, other than just saying it was a bloody good game of football, and I think there were so many moments in it that probably distracted us from that. So I think it's important to say how, you know, the resilience of Everton in particular, I thought was incredible. But Richarlison's tackle on Thiago as well. Given as a red, um, and clearly it deserved to be a red. And you know what? I, I think it's funny, you know, that it wasn't the reverse I thought Liverpool did really, really well to contain 
the frustration, probably anger of the Van Dyke challenge. Mm-hmm. And that Jordan Pickford got away with it, that no Liverpool player let their emotions get the better of them in a derby match. Um, but like you're right, the quality of the derby match was a very good game, very entertaining. I thought the goals were, were excellent. Um, the, well, the, well, three out of the four at least were excellent. Um, Calvin Lewin's header was brilliant. I thought uh, Mo Salah's finish was sublime. Uh, Mane's finish early on was was great. Was a great finish. So the, the quality of the game was very very good. James Rodriguez, I thought, was a little bit quieter than what we've used to seeing so far in the Premier League. But then he's, he's playing against one of the best teams in the world, if not the best team in the world. So you'd understand that. Um, but yeah, exciting. You know what? It, it makes it. Hopefully, it's just an indication of how this season may unravel, and hopefully the quality continues, and hopefully we see more and more high-quality games. Um, and then the remarkable thing is that the quality of the game, the level of the, the quality of the game, the level of performance was in a stadium where there was no crowd. So yeah. if you can imagine what it would have been like had that have been full house, maybe we would have seen more red cards. Maybe the emotion uh, side of the Liverpool player would have come out more because the Liverpool fans being being you know, uh, outraged by the Jordan Pickford uh, challenge on, on Van Dijk. And, and maybe it would have been a different outcome. Um, but it was still remarkable considering I was in the stadium to watch it. What will be really interesting to see is we, we know now as well that it's been confirmed that um, Van Dijk has torn his ACL. So he's done an only kill. So he'll be out for quite a while. Uh, probably not as long as me. I would have thought uh, they'd probably try and get him out there a bit sooner. I'm still out. Indefinitely. There's a real uh, red cross next to my name. But what I think will be interesting to see, I hope in a sense that we'll probably see it in games against Liverpool, maybe even up a little bit because do you see in particular with that Calvert-Lewin goal, when he goes up against Gomez, who's you know, still a pretty good centre-back, I don't think he probably would have climbed as high or was, would have been able to get around Van Dyke if he was on. And so That's I wonder... Funny. Not necessarily the case. I think the difference would have quite possibly have been that Van Dyke would have at least challenged him. Gomez, uh, you know, neither Gomez um, nor Robinson actually put in a challenge. And that was the issue for me. Yeah, Carol Lewin, a remarkable leap and a great, great header. But it was uncontested. You know, both both players didn't, you know, didn't challenge him. So... um, Maybe Van Dyke wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Maybe his body position would have been different. Maybe he would have, you know, as a defender, the very least you can do is, is just challenge. Even if you're caught out, even if you're caught a step behind, you've got to try and put off the attacker. And whether that means you are, it's a slice of, of, of a body check, it's a slice of a nudge that may put his header off target. The problem was he didn't get any of that. So it was there for Calvin Lord to finish. And he did, he did it incredibly well. Okay, Mark, so if I was to say the sentence to you, and this is a direct quote, two points thrown away. And this is a manager uh, in the Premier League. Have a guess who that could be. It could be, Uh, in fairness, a few people. Well, yeah, I think there's there's a couple. I think it could have either been Jose Mourinho or Frank Lampard. Well, I'm going to say you're absolutely spot on. It was Frank Lampard. So let's talk about Chelsea Southampton because it does feel like it was two points thrown away. Good thing from a Chelsea perspective, we've finally seen that link up between Havertz and Werner. Werner probably used in a slightly different position. Some would say his best position, which was really great to see. But just that continuous defensive issues, Mark, that you thought when you looked at who they brought in, you thought maybe surely this is going to they're going to be alright, but not to be. Well, I mean, firstly, you know, Thiago Silva, I don't think necessarily is the, the answer. Um, that's going to solve all their defensive issues. I think one of their biggest issues is not necessarily personnel. There, there, there is a case to say, yes, we need, you know, Chelsea need better centre-halves or, or, or a couple of better centre-halves. But for me, it's more about the way they don't defend as a team. So any good team that it has a really good defensive record, they defend as an entire team, 11 players. They all take part in their defensive roles. So I would, I would look at the way that Chelsea plays and their attacking uh, side of the game, which is phenomenal. And that's a, you know, it's a big reason why they're so entertaining to watch, but it's also a big reason why they can see so many goals. You know, more often than not, they'll have five players, if not six players, in the opposition's box or there or thereabouts. You know, whether, you know, whether it's 
Ben Chill pushing forward on the left or, or uh, you know, Rhys James on the right. And together with the three attacking players, you know, there's at least five players, if not six players at times in that, in that sort of final third of the pitch. And it's what happens when the ball breaks down, when they lose the ball. How quickly do they recover? How quickly do they get, regain their shape? Where does the defensive duties begin? Do they begin the minute you lose the ball, they try and close down and win the ball all over the pitch? Or do the defence then drop back whilst the front three, front five start to put more pressure on and then there's a massive gap that's one pass and there's five plays out of the game. So I think there's lots of aspects of the Chelsea team at the moment that needs to improve upon. It's easy to point a finger at the centre-halves. It's easy to point a finger at the goalkeeper. Yes, the goalkeeper's made mistakes and there's no denying that. But he's also, been made, he's also made the mistakes because he's been exposed so, so hugely. Um, that's not to say that he shouldn't be making mistakes because he shouldn't be. Uh, everyone can make a mistake, but he's made too many mistakes already. Do you think it's frustrating for him in the sense that Kepa's almost been given himself a, a second chance given Mendy's injury, but he's not really taking advantage of it from what we've seen? No, he's not. And, and, I, and I think a lot of that is down to, I think mentally he's all over the place. Yeah. It just reeks of, of a player's performance uh, since the start of the season. Well, not even since the last, since the last season a player that's constantly battling with himself in the way he's performing or not performing, the mistakes he's making, the pressure he's feeling from the outside, um, the momentum, the fans obviously not happy, the stats about any goals he's conceding, the worst shot to save percentage ratio in, in, the, in the, uh, sorry, the Premier League. Um, and it's affecting him on the football pitch. And as a football player, it doesn't matter what position you are in, you have to try and try and separate the, 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 the criticism off the pitch from when you go on with that pitch. On that pitch, you have to go there and try and make sure that none of that external pressure is actually playing its part in, in your performance. And unfortunately, with, Pe- uh, with, with Kepa, his performances have been suffering from the, the external pressures that he's receiving. And most of it's self-doing, self-inflicted. It's not like... I'm not saying that it's not his fault. It, it is down to, down to his performances. There's no two words about it. But again, he's not getting a lot of support from his, his defenders around him either. Do you think David Louise would start for Chelsea if he was still there? Uh, yes, I think he would. I, I, I honestly think he would. But you know what? The David Louise transfer is more to do with not so much David Louise as a footballer and how he performs on a football pitch. It's more about the overall package that buy into the way that Frank wants to play, which I think David Louise would have, would have liked to have played in that, in that system. But I think it was more a case that you're not going to be seen as a normal starter every week. You're part of a squad. Um, game time is not guaranteed and you're only going to play if and when. Um, and, and as it turned out last season, he probably would have played a lot of games had he have stayed at the club. But... He decided then and there that it wasn't right for him and they agreed that, that he'd move on. Now, we fall into the trap, and rightly so, when big teams make big mistakes and drop points. Uh, there's obviously... It's only natural to, to put the uh, magnifying glass over them, but it's not to be forgotten that Southampton, again, Danny Ings, Shay Adams, thought Theo Walcott, when he features, was exciting and brilliant. So this, is a, this is a team, Mark, that this time last year we were sort of, you know, updating the sack race. And they were firmly, you know, either were going to be relegated or Harsen Hoodle was going to be the first to go in the sack race. But all of a yeah. sudden, couldn't be further away. Yeah, I remember you were saying every week that, they had to, that he had to get the sack. And oh, here we go. Every week. And I said, no, 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 he's good. <laughs> You're right, though. I did. I, but, you know, it, 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 rightly so. I think there's criticism early on. They were all yeah. over the shop, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, and then obviously it came to a head at that uh, the drumming, drumming at the hands of Leicester. Um, yeah, remarkable, and we said we said it before um, over the course of, of the many pod- podcasts that we've done, is that uh, Ralph Hasenhood has done an incredible job on a on a limited budget, um, and you know what to, to get Danny Ings performing at the level he's playing at um, week in week out. Um, is, is remarkable to turn their season around like he did last season to, you know, they look a better side. Yes, they're going to have hiccups along the way. They're going to have setbacks. They're going to have bad performances here and there. But they tend to turn things around and they did it again on the weekend. 3-0 down at Chelsea. I'm oh, sorry, 2-0 down, back to 2-2. Two, two. 
um, and then and then down three two. It's just that never never say die effort. And you know what? Yeah, you can turn around and say, well, Chelsea were bad and Chelsea made mistakes that led to goals, but it also comes about because of the pressure that the opposition applies to you. Had Salah set back and, and, and almost resigned to the fact that they were losing against Chelsea, that never would have happened. They did. They they kept going. They kept plugging. The minute they got a goal back, they thought, right, okay. Let's go. Let's see if we can get another one back and let's just see what the result's like for, for Chelsea. And as it turns out, it was enough to turn the game around and get a point out of it. A game that was dead and buried. And they should, by, by all, all accounts, really, you kind of go, well, three, at, at uh, 2 0 down, um, it, it's a tall, you know, it's a high mountain to climb. And they did a remarkable job in getting back in the game. Won't be long. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search Geg and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D. The Geg and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds, Mark. I'm just going to take a beautiful sip of my Hey Diddle Shiraz, but as I do that, on the running order, I've just got, in pretty simple terms here, Fulham relegation update from Mark. Where are we at, do you think? We're one point better off than last week. <laughs> I mean, talk about shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, yeah, Mitrovic, who's normally, you know, he's so important to them. And he is he's so important to them. Scores a lot of goals, normally pretty assured at penalty spot, misses the penalty. And then, obviously, hugely involved in giving away a penalty to, to Sheffield United up the other end. But I have to say... That lies, for me, solely at the feet of Oriola. You know, he came out, should have taken the cross, collides with his own defender and drops the ball, which leads to Mitrovic fouling the Sheffield United player and giving away a penalty. So disappointing. They shot themselves in the foot, should have won the game. Well, I think this is going to be a theme continuing. The, the, the halftime uh, Fulham relegation update. It's not the most positive update that we could possibly do. But hey, it's but you not... Know there's positives taken out of that game. I mean, uh, Lookman looks great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, uh, Loftus-Cheek, I think, is a good, a, a good acquisition to the side. It's, defensively, that's the biggest issue. Um, Ariola in goal is, is a good goalkeeper, um, but he's going to be heavily, hugely exposed all season. And it's really down to him, a little bit of improvement on defending or, or a massive improvement on defending, for them to have any chance of staying in the league. Mark, let's talk wine before we get stuck into the other games in the Premier League. You know I love a wine with a story. That's another thing. And just reading about this 2019 Hey Diddle Shiraz, um, which is very interesting. There were, in 2019, in the Adelaide Hills in particular, there were extreme temperatures throughout the February and March period, just before they were starting to, to pick those grapes. So it caused early ripening, and the vintage was done and dusted really, really quickly was reduced yields, making these wines even more exciting, which I really like because not, not often you just, you, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't take into consideration what the, the weather can do to grapes. But in that scenario where it's really hot and extreme, it, it probably was going back and forth, back and forth, raining a lot. It can do sometimes in the Adelaide summers as well. So it's interesting to see how that can affect a grape. But you end up with a beautiful you know, in terms of the flavour, there's more than one flavour sort of coming through and that's sort of resulting of those extreme weathers, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I mean, off the back of that, my Protoss, uh, Roblet, um, it's from the Ribera del Duero, produced by Bodegas Protoss. Um, and the thing about this one is the grapes used grown in the vineyards where the harvest is done manually and the grapes grow through a selection process. So uh, the grapes are determined and uh, macerated cold to extract the best flavour from the skins. So it's, it's, I love that, the fact that it's done manually rather than by any machines. Yeah. What are you, what are you saying that there's the old the, uh, stomping with your feet or just the first process? I think it's just the first process of the actual grapes um, where they're harvested by hand rather than by machines. I like that a lot. I really yeah. like that. That's another, that could be another strand to this really is a wine with a story. Yes. Anytime there's a story involved, that's what, that's what we're on about, Mark. But it's a spin-off podcast. Maybe totally. Yeah. Totally. That's way better than Two Sharp Reds. Wine with a story. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm on, uh, idea for sausage. Two Sharp Reds with a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, we're creative, aren't we? 
We're really creative. <laughs> hey, Matt, let's get stuck back into the football. Um, I want to talk about Man City versus Arsenal. You'd have to say, mouth-watering prospect, but probably the most straightforward and boring game out of the lot of the weekend. Every other game, it was kicking off left, right and centre, but really just sort of just another day out. Arsenal were better than what they normally are against the Man City, but it sort of shows where we're at, really, that we're sort of happy with that. <laughs> Or is that because Manchester City weren't as good as what they normally are when they play against Arsenal? Yeah, I think we... I think we- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the middle, I think it's a combination. Yeah, Arsenal were definitely better. Um, I think there's question marks to be asked about um, Bernardo's the goal, the parry. You know, I thought his level, the way he's performed, I thought he should have done better with the parry. Mm-hmm. If anything, I think he could have even caught it. But you know, that's another thing. Um, I thought Edison's save was spectacular. Um, to prevent Saka from scoring, uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant save. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a dull affair. The thing that I took out of that game the most was not what the performance was more about what was set up for the game. And it was about Aguero and how Guardiola said that he, he like all of us, have to earn the right for a new contract. And uh, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a, there's, that's hugely correct, of course. And more often than not, that's not always the case. More often than not, that a player will actually, based on merit, based on accomplishments... Um, longevity and his regular performances that they believe that he's going to get back to that level. He's only, he was only out for four months. It's not like he was out for 12 months or six months, 12 months with a really, really... I mean, he was out with, obviously, serious enough injury to keep him that long, but not a career-ending injury. Um, his goal record, year after year after year, speaks for itself. So I found that a bit, a bit interesting. And the fact is that we're coming up towards the middle to end of October. Mm-hmm. As of January the 1st, you can speak to any other clubs. And there's no doubt in my mind there's going to be a serious number of clubs around vying for a signature. And I think, I, I also believe that Manchester City between now and January 1st will be offering him a new contract. Hey, uh, speaking of Sergio Aguero, though, of course, he was also... Um, heavily talked about after the game after he grabbed the, the lino around her neck. Well, not really. More the shoulder. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the reason, you know what, I get it. And, you know, you, you shouldn't. And, and there's no rules to state you can't touch the officials. Um, so, but it's silly. It's silly and should be warned to say, listen, you know, it's not appropriate. Get on with the game. Leave the officials alone. It doesn't matter who the officials are. Get on with it. Leave them alone. Talk to them, yes, but don't touch them. If you do that to the match ref, though, there's no way you'd get away with it. Um, Surely. It de- no, you know what? It really depends. It depends. In England, what I found, it really depends on the referee. Depends on your relationship. Depends on what you're saying, how you're speaking to them. You're showing them respect. It really depends. I don't think that's cut and dry that you you can't. I just think you shouldn't. But there are some referees, and again, depending on the circumstances, you can do it. I think there needs to be a cut and dry rule. Like other sports, many sports as well in Australia, it's just a blanket rule. You just go, if you touch the referee under, even if I've seen it before in other sports like AFL where you're trying to mimic what has happened, you're sort of acting it out. And you've sort of, you know, lightly pushed the umpire. You go, well, you're getting a fine. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what circumstances. It's cut and dry. Do not touch them. Yeah, listen. But then, but then you know what? People would complain about it again as well because they're complaining about the fact that we've gotten cut and dry decisions in terms of VAR in an offside decision yep. where there's a line drawn and they are able to determine whether they're over it and people still don't like it. So if you were to bring in a, a rule and say, well, you can't touch a referee's full stop, There'll be people out there complaining because this is the nature of the beat. People just like to wind it up things like that. Mm. 
Uh, speaking of that quote game that we played a little earlier, uh, two points thrown away. You guessed correctly in Frank Lampard, but another man who you did guess who absolutely must be thinking, this is Jose Mourinho, after Tottenham gave away a pretty clear three points and they gave away that three-goal lead uh, in a matter of moments. I believe, if I can remember the quote exactly, they're the first team in the Premier League to be able to not lose after uh, trailing by three goals as late as the 81st minute. It was just a bombardment. And actually, as well, Mark, reminds me of Jose's first game in charge for Tottenham, of course, was against West Ham. And it was quite similar. They, I mean, it ended 3-2, so you didn't get that, that full comeback. But it was an extraordinary tale of two halves. Just to add on to, to what you were saying about uh, Frank Lampard said we threw away two goals. That's uh, right, two points. Um, Jose Mourinho actually said, so I actually got it both right because what Jose Mourinho said, my guys were not strong enough to cope with it psychologically. The last few seconds, we lost two points. So mm. technically, he said the same thing pretty much. Oh, you know, thrown away. So I've nailed both of them. Tonight, let's be honest. Yeah, well done. Jeez, you can't stand losing, can you? You just can't. No, I, just, I, I just know because I was reading it, or actually, I was listening to the interview today that Jose Mourinho gave post match and. I just know what he's like, and I know in the change, you know, there's two sides to him. Sometimes he comes into a game, and I, and I think I've mentioned this before, half time after a game, and there are times when you come in and you think, wow, he is going to tear shreds off people. And he's very calm, very serious, but very calm, doesn't say anything. Or you'll say, okay, it's fine. Listen, these things happen. We, we, we go again. You know, we've got a big game on again. Right. And then that's kind of it. And there are other times you think, geez, we did it right today. You know, that was a decent result. That's a decent performance. Happy with that. We won, but, you know, didn't play our best, but we won. And he'll come in and tear shreds out of someone or, or out of the team. And so, so he's really, at times, he's really hard to read. So it would have been interesting to know what he said to his players after the game, whether he tore shreds off people or whether he was calm, serious, and was very clear in his message in terms of this can't happen again. If we want to compete for Champions League, compete for winning titles, we can't. This can't happen again. Um, or whether he just came in and taught, you know, and, and let loose. Um, and, and it's an interesting one because most of the time you can't pick whether he has or not, or where he's going going to or not. He'll just come in and either explode or be really reserved. And people are always looking around, going, "Why hasn't he unleashed himself? Why hasn't he?" torn shreds off someone. Um, yeah, so, you know, I remember we lost our first, he lost his first ever home game in the Premier League for Chelsea. And I played in that game against Sunderland and I didn't do very well. One of the goals I dropped, uh, parried out and they, they, they scored from it. And then we considered, uh, Aspley Quintus considered a penalty um, late on, dived in and we lost the game 2-1. Sunderland were fighting for their lives. And uh, Aspley Quintus come in crying. He's, he's, he's actually almost like bawling his eyes out. And the manager was so, like, taken aback or, or, or not even taken aback. Actually, he, he was so um, encouraged almost by Aspilicueta's reaction that he was like, this is what I want. This is how I want players to react. I, I, this guy feels for it. He's devastated. And... And, and this is what it's about. You know, this is the example I want to, I want to show you is that, uh, you know, everyone makes mistakes. And yes, we lost the game. So what, I lost the game at home. Who cares? In my first game, we lost at home. Who cares? But if, you know, we've got to learn from it. And if this is the type of emotion, the type of attitude we have from players, we'll be all right. Wow. That's, yeah. Uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve, Aspilicueta, doesn't he? He does. No. So that, that doesn't surprise me at all. But it's, do, you, do you get the sense that anyone on the Tottenham side would be doing that after the game? Maybe. Man, listen, I wouldn't be surprised. I, who are they? I, I, don't, I don't know them well enough. Um, but I don't know who the characters are in that change room that are the players that are more emotional or a little bit more sensitive. Because you, you get to know that amongst a group of players. Yep. You know players can be quite sensitive. You know players on match day, that change from being that happy, serious, happy, but like real good pro, serious pro. Like Ashley Quinter is a really happy kind of guy generally day to day but on the pitch he's serious gets on with it does his work and it's really important and, he, and I think it comes about because 
he's probably never been the most gifted player, but he's had to really work for it. And he's never taken anything for granted. And therefore, it affects him so much when, when things don't go so well because he's about doing the right things day in, day out. And if he makes a mistake, it's kind of like, how am I making a mistake? I do everything right every day. I do everything. I do my work. I work extra. And I still make a mistake every now and then. And, and I just think that can boil over more easily with that sort of player. A player who's more naturally gifted, for me, in my experience, tend to be less emotional about a performance or a loss or a mistake that they've made because they just go, well, I'm, I take risks and that's going to happen. And, you know, some weeks I make a mistake and we lose or some weeks I make a mistake, I don't make a mistake and I do something brilliant and we win. And, that, and that's, I mean, I remember Hazard was kind of along those lines. Just sort of, that, that plays life on the edge. Incredible amount of ability, natural ability, insane amount of natural ability and rested too often on that natural ability. Mm. He did do the work and did do the extra stuff. He, he went up notches and he became that player. That's why Real Madrid applauded him. I fear for him now is that two years in a row, he's come back overweight for Real Madrid. And has he now rested on his laurels? Has he reached the pinnacle in his career where he believes, I am at the, I am at the highest level. I've accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish because I wanted to go to Real Madrid from a very young age. I'm there now and... It's almost like, it feels like from afar, from the observation, it's almost like he's accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. So let's just go back to this Tottenham-West Ham game and just sum up what was a, a pretty extraordinary uh, end to the game. Uh, I think it's important not to get lost on the fact that Kane was unbelievable. And I think it's probably will go under the radar. He was, he's almost playing a bit like Wayne Rooney a little bit in many respects. His position on the field has changed as well. His passing looks elite and something that probably hasn't been talked about up until the tail end of, you know, before he got injured and then this year. But he was, he was special yesterday. He was really special. He's been special for, for so many years, hasn't he? Yeah, he's had dips and every player does. But, and he has adapted his game a little bit. He's matured. Um, maybe, maybe it's more of a, a case of maturing and altering his game a little bit. Or maybe it is a combination of the maturing, the injuries sustained. Um, maybe that could be also the case. I, I also think players around him have stepped up, particularly Son. Yeah. And are more consistent. Their understanding is insane, the, the two of them. And, uh, you know, where would Spurs be if they didn't have a hurricane? Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Not where, yeah. not where they're at. That's like 100%. No, no. way near yeah, but it was a clear two points dropped, and it was, you know, I'm sure if he hadn't said it outwardly to his team, inwardly would have been fuming with dropping the two points or throwing away two points. What about Fabianski? Uh, I think he's brilliant. He's been sensational for the Hammers, um, Hammer of the Year. I think not, maybe not two times, at least once. Um, it looked like he was rooted to the ground for all three of those goals. I don't know if that, if that sort of half normal, would you say? Or were you, were you should be on your toes, no? Yeah, listen, some good finishes from Harry Kane. Um, but I also think since he's come back from his injury, and I think last season they rushed him back, I actually don't think he was 100% right when he came back in because he, he looked a little bit uncertain and his performances also showed that. Um, I don't, he definitely not reached back to the heights of when he first went on that first season, like you, where you said, where he got, you know, player of the season, and he rightfully so he was brilliant. Uh, at Swansea, he was brilliant. So I think he's, at the moment, he's still struggling to get back to the form. Mm-hmm. And no surprise, you know, when, you, when you're down a little bit in confidence, when you're not performing as well as you should be or had been in the past, you're always pushing and fighting to try and get back to that level. And maybe, you know, that's, that also has distracted him a little bit. And I don't think he's quite playing at the level, he, like I said, that he had played in the past at, at West Ham. Uh, and the final thing on this game, it was extraordinary uh, debut or re-debut, I suppose, for Bale. Should have probably scored that goal. Uh, and then, of course, after then, it was just a rampage from West Ham. But Lanzini's goal, uh, goal of the season so far, would you say? And will be slash hard to beat? You know what? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real big... It's a really interesting debate about what constitutes a goal of the season. So... Is it a strike, a single strike? Is it like taking a touch, throwing, dropping a shoulder, turning and striking at top corner? Is that a better goal 
than someone who, like Son did last season, ran almost mm. three quarters of the length of the pitch, beating seven or eight players, kind of without running players and getting past players and scoring a solo goal where he almost side puts in the back of the net. Is that better than a wonder strike like Lanzini's? And that's always a big debate. It's an open debate. But if someone's scoring a free kick from 35 yards out and putting it top ends, I think it happens because it happens fairly frequently throughout the course of the season. People take that a little bit for granted of how difficult a task that he is to do. Um, listen, it's it's definitely in for goal of the month. Let's put it that way. Ultimately, will it be will it be in the mix for goal of the season? Depends on how the season goes, really. But at this rate, the amount of goals that are being scored, and the yeah. type of goal scored, that list of goal of the season is going to be the longest list of all time. But another thing that adds to a goal of the season is context as well. And the context of that game was pretty huge, you know, with a couple of things to go. You can see, when they're being judged, I'm on the panel. Uh, I'm one of many people on that panel of judging goals of the month, goals of the season. Are you really? And I am, yeah. So, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, and you don't you don't um, you don't take it you don't take it in, in, in context of the game. You you see the highlights, you see the goals, you see the selection of goals that are put forward for goal of the month. You review the goals and you take them on their own merit. You're not you're not, you're not taking the context of. I mean, I, I I don't take them in context of the game. I take it in the context of the actual ability, the technical ability, the 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 goal itself, as opposed to the context of the game. And, and the, Let's not forget, at the end of the season, when you've got, say, eight goals, to, eight goals of the season to, to choose from, you more often than not don't remember exactly the context of the game. What goal of that game was it? If it won 2 0, 1 0, 3 0, 4 3, what goal was it? Which goal was it? You know, and, and that's the thing. You, you don't, more often than not, you don't take it into context. And I suppose the other good thing about having you on that, you, you'll be able to look at it from the point of view of, could the goalkeeper have done anything? So I'll ask you that. Could Lloris have done anything? And if so, no, then surely it's got to be the goal of the year if you physically well, can't do anything about it. The only thing Lloris didn't do was save it. You know, he got, he got finger t- uh, fingertips to it. And, and I reckon Lloris would be disappointed that he didn't save it. And the reason I say that is because he got so close. Mm. I thought he did a tremendous job of getting so close to it. And as a goalkeeper, when you get so close to it and you get a touch on it like he did, you kick yourself that you actually weren't able to push it over and save it because he was so, so close. And a wonder, it was a wonderful strike. And no one will ever point fingers, other than I hear there's been a comment saying that he went with his wrong hand. I mean, which is just outrageous to say that he went with his wrong hand. Uh, I mean, that's a person who has z- next to zero idea of technical ability or technical aspect of goalkeeping. Why is that? Because the way the ball was flying, the, where the ball was moving from, or moving to the direction of the flight, the power of the flight, the position of the goalkeeper, the only way he was going to get anywhere near the ball was using his top hand. If he uses his bottom hand, there's a point of when, a, when you are f- flying through the air and you're almost not horizontal to the ground, but you're an angle f- to the ground, your body, the top hand reaches further at a higher point, not necessarily wider, but it'll reach higher. And that was a high shot into the top corner. He had to go with his top hand to get anywhere near it. Had he have gone with his bottom hand, which some goalkeepers only use their bottom hand, like Jordan Pickford, yeah. he would have zero chance of reaching it. Very interesting. You learn something new every day here on the Two Sharp Reds, don't you? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, if, you, if you say you lay, lie, down on, lie down on your, sort of mostly on the bed, right? And then you yeah. put your top hand up and reach as far as you can. Yep. And then put it down and then use your other hand and see how high you reach. Yeah, I'm with you. It will change a little bit then as well. So you've got to try and maintain the same angle. When you're lying down, you can only you can reach far higher with the top hand. Yep. You can reach further with your, your bottom hand, straight across, but you can't reach as high. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And it, are you also putting yourself in a, a possible position to get yourself injured? If you leave with your bottom hand, like if that's like fine, or no, not necessarily. But what what your top hand helps you do as well is by using your top hand across across your body like that, it helps pro- propel you through the air a bit more. Mm, almost like you're about to launch into a cartwheel, almost. Yeah, without spinning around. Yeah. 
Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I love with, it. Your, with your ballerina background, you, you should get it more than most. A hundred percent. I'm totally with you. Yeah. No, I mean, if I was to be critical, I would have liked Larissa to do a, I don't know, a step or change part of all Ray, then into the dive. But that's just my contemporary dance talking, you know. You lost me after step forward. Yeah, oh, step forward. It was a step <laughs> ball change, Mark, and you know it. Come on. <laughs> Mark, uh, how have you enjoyed your wine here on Two Sharp Reds today? That's delightful. As always, again, it's another wine that I've had numerous times before, and I thought today was one of those moments because of the fact that we went over to see each other in person. Yeah. That I've got to bring out one of the big guns, and it's one that I, you know, it's not, it's not hugely expensive. It's, it's around the kind of the, the eight, about, sorry, 10 euro bottle. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a delightful bottle of wine. Well, I've, of course, gone for the Hey Diddle Shiraz in celebration of Brad Ebert's retirement from Port Adelaide and the AFL. Um, extreme temperatures in February and March caused the early ripening and vintage uh, meant that it was done very quickly. Uh, so the overall 2019 vintage of the Hey Diddle is a high quality um, vintage with reduced yields, making these wines and the grapes even more exciting of a prospect. A dashing deep crimson with purple hues filling the glass. The nose is overrun with aromas of flowering herbs, thyme, bay leaf and violets. The pure core of the fruit has drive and balance to boot. Uh, so on that, I think I might as well just continue to, to say who I'm comparing this wine to. I'm a little nervous because last week's comparison was my best ever. I'm not yes. as confident this time around, but I think there's enough to say that I'm still in the, the upper echelon, which is sort of what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to, to beat last week, just want to still be within the conversation of I've done a good job. So the, the, the key things in particular that um, have got me is the fact that uh, in 2019 was their standout vintage of Hay Diddle Wine and, and 2019 was the clear breakout vintage, but also the fact that it was really quick so, and it happened in a flash that these grapes were able to ripen really quickly, which adds to the ex uh, making it such an exciting prospect. So this player, 2019 was their best year to date, but it was how quickly it seemed to happen which almost adds to that, oh, geez, this guy's come out of almost nowhere on the biggest stage. But also one of the, the flavourings that, that's really obvious is time. And in particular, if I was just to add an ING onto the back end of that, uh, this man's timing uh, is unbelievable. Some of the best timing of his strikes that I've, I've, I've ever seen. And I really like as well at the end of, of um, the explanation of, of the uh, Shiraz, it does say that it's, at its purest core, at the heart of what makes this wine so good is its balance, but also its drive. And this man has so much drive in terms of um, when the going gets tough, whether it's he's coming off from the bench, his drive to be the very best is pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty obvious. Uh, but his balance, I've seen a few times now where people have tried to push him off when he's at high speed and his balance to be able to maintain that high speed is exceptional. So with all of that in mind, I'm going for my favourite player at the moment is the great Erling Haaland. Wow. Thoughts? That was like something that you haven't really prepared for um, and you said you don't think it's anywhere as good as, as your previous one. Um, well, you just pulled that out of your proverbial and that was, that was a good effort, mate. I, I'm impressed. I thought you did really, really well there. It wasn't um, as good though, was it, as last week? But it was still good. That was up there, man. It was up yeah. there. I got locked in the whole, the whole, dis the, the whole explanation. Um, yeah. And uh, but it drew me back in again. And yeah, no, I, I read it. And, and and again, you know, maybe some people might say I was a little bit harsh a couple of weeks ago, giving you a bit of stick about your. Uh, some did your, say that. Not harsh. Some did. Uh, but you know what? What did your mum say? Oh, uh, she just see. Are you being bullied? Is everything all right? Like, yeah. Look, I am being bullied. I do find it uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, you know, it is Mark. You know, I just sort of go nod my head and I, I kind of like it at the same time. So, look, she's out. She's looking after me. It's all good. She's, yeah. She's Did she not say, ask with fair? Uh, no, well, th this is the thing. She then accidentally sent a message that was meant to go to my dad, but sent it to me saying, Mark was spot on there. He's an absolute idiot. So, <laughs> <laughs> best of both worlds. Now, talk yeah. to me about your wine. Who have you gone for? <laughs> 
Understandable, mate. I mean, I, you know, I, I have to agree with you, Mum. Totally. Mom. Yeah. Um, okay, so, well, you know, following that, Jesus. Now, my Protus uh, Roblet 2018, Ribera Duero uh, Vineyard, wonderful bottle of wine. Had many, many times uh, I've had a bottle or two of these, um, particularly over the summer, which I had way too much, um, but who cares? It was the summer. And totally. even though I didn't it summer, who cares? It was brilliant. Loved every moment of it. Um, and, and it comes down to this one is that, you know, it's full and concentrated on the nose with a, a long lingering finish. Uh, the other thing that popped out to me was the grapes harvest manually. And this player that I'm thinking of, um, because of the quality of the wine, it's a quality player, a player that not necessarily had an enormous amount of ability. Um, but he was something that manually did a lot of work. So the grapes harvested manually kind of drew me to this player is that he worked on his game. He worked on it. He started off humble beginnings at Millwall in, in England. And he was a fighter, a grafter. And he turned out to be one of the most prolific headers of the ball, um, full and concentrated on the nose, which reminded me of him heading the ball and scoring so many goals in the Premier League with his head, obviously becoming an Evertonian and being a, a massive player during the, the David Moyes era. Um, and obviously, he he lingered a lot in the end, didn't he? he played a lot of a lot of football at different countries around the world. Um, and obviously, as we all know, he's a prolific goal scorer for Australia, and was you know played at four World Cups for Australia. The only player to do so. And uh, this wine, because it's such a good bottle of wine, I have to compare it with none other than the big man Tim Cahill. Oh, yeah, I love it. I really like that. At one point there, I thought you were going to say Matt Smith from, from Millwall when he said great hair of the ball. It's not going to be Matt Smith, is it? Um, but the lingering, that's, uh, yeah, that's spot on. It just he, it went through, he, it did go through the stage there with to me, wasn't it, where he just pop up and go, oh, he's in India now. Okay, fair enough. Good on him. Yeah, it was India. Uh, it was to do a legacy, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Tim, has he been liking your, your social media posts? Because... Fans of the show would know that you, you, you know, in the early days of the Sharp Reds, you had a small breakdown, um, which resulted in um, Tim liking every single one of your photos and the Socceroos had posted it. That you know, it's good to see that you guys have sort of made up. But has he gone off the wagon or is he still liking or what's he doing? You know, he, I mean, I actually, I mean, I've liked quite a lot of his photos. Yep. He's not liked any of my photos since. Um, but there's a reason for that. Why? What did you do? I haven't posted anything. Oh, okay. I've not posted anything for probably the last two months or so, two and a half months. So, and it's quite strange, you know, because I'm actually gaining more, more people every time. Every day I wake up and I've got new people following me and I'm thinking, hang on, I'm going to stop posting and more and more people start following me. Interesting. <laughs> the, more follow, the more I post, maybe fewer people will actually start following me. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so, um, I, you know, Champions League starts up tomorrow again. So I'll be back to posting. Okay. And, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll restart again. I, I posted a couple of things on, on, on Twitter, more yeah. reposts, uh, and a couple of little bits and pieces. But, uh, yeah, my Instagram has been very, very, very quiet. Didn't uh, post anything for my birthday either, I noticed, which is fine. But that would have got a few likes. But Yeah, anyway. I did wish you a happy birthday, didn't I? Yeah, but it's 2020, Mark. You know, that doesn't really cut it anymore. You know, you're not really friends with someone if you don't post about it. That's sort of the rules. Oh, really? Yeah, that's all right. All right, listen. listen. Next year. There's always next year. I'm old school in that, in that regard, okay? Yeah. So now I'm still very new to this whole social media thing. It does take me a bit to get onto it, yeah. as you know. Um, so you know what? You've still got next year. And yeah. listen, you'll be evaluated throughout the course of the next year now. And whether or not you uh, yeah. warrant a post fully dedicated to Mr. Oli Gill. A little bit like Aguero trying to earn himself a contract. It's very much a similar thing. You know, we don't all, you don't just get it. You don't get a post from Shorter. The similarity you have with Aguero, right, is that you're right in terms of him having to earn his new contract. Mm -hmm. The only difference is you have to earn the opportunity for me to to post about your book. That's the only similarity. The only similarities. That's it. Height? Similar? Sorry? We've got similar height, I would have thought. Um, he's probably still taller than you. Yeah. Um, good tan. We've both got pretty good, like, nice olive skin. Ah, uh, no, no. He's miles better than you in tan. Come on, let's be honest. Let's yeah, be but, honest. 
Oh, and, and blonde frosted tips. There you go. <laughs> Done. Got the two <laughs> things. It's all no, the cat. No. You're, you're looking a bit, uh, a bit ginger looking from here. Uh, I reckon it's just the light. No, nah, it's definitely caramel. Uh, on that note, Mark, I'll leave you to, to finish off the podcast for us. Yes, it's this week where it was the week we believed that was going to be the one where our reunion was going to happen, didn't we? We thought that we were going to see each other in, in person for the first time in many, many, many months. But unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. And that bottle of red wine that's sitting in your corner of your room, which I'm still yet to believe still exists. That's um, I'm looking at it. And you keep looking in that direction. But for all I know, there could be absolutely nothing in that corner of your room you're looking at. So on that note... Let's hope for another week of, uh, well, let's hope that uh, maybe changes will occur during the week and maybe yeah. we can do that next week, unlikely. Yeah. And if not, um, we might see you with a different colour beanie next week. Looking forward to it. Tremendous outro, Mark. Cheers. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 